This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You know, again, we have to laugh at the absurdities of these times. We got to call them out. And so, you know, trying to bend my mind in creative ways to develop content that is 60 seconds or less, it feels like a win. It feels like, you know, I'm kind of moving through this media space and trying to be as nimble as possible. Um, and and I feel proud of where where I am and, and, and what I'm doing. So, you know, aside from the awards um, or at least the recognition thereof, um, you know, I, I'm happy with the amount of peace that I have in my life uh, right now and the amount of just like goodness, just like feel, feel goodness. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space Podstream Studios Times Square. These conversations have been recorded with a live audience on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and we've brought you the best moments from our conversation, discussing the various struggles that founders have had to face. If you'd like to be part of the live conversations where we allow the audience to participate, please follow me on Instagram at Chris Colbert Report. In this conversation, I'm talking to Danielle Moody, a political commentator who you've probably seen on MSNBC, PBS, and CBC. She's an op-ed writer for places like Zora Magazine, The Atlantic, Vogue, Huffington Post, and Essence. And she's the host of the podcast Woke AF and Democracy-ish. Danielle is also a friend of mine who I've shared many whiskeys with. We sit down to talk about how she keeps her sanity while working in politics, which also requires her to balance her rage and rest. I want to start from the kind of the beginning, at least like the uh, the you know business beginning for you, um, because you started your career on the Hill. And I don't mean like the you know, the reality show, the cringy you know reality show. Though <laughs> at the same time, I guess Capitol Hill is kind of like a cringy reality show, too. So <laughs> what led you to, to working on the Hill? And, and yeah, what, what created that journey? And then why did you decide that maybe that wasn't the best place for you anymore? Yeah, well, I'll go one step further back, which is that I actually started my career as a classroom teacher in Washington, D.C. Um, and I was teaching first and second grade. And I decided, you know, as I was working on my master's degree in uh, early childhood education, that I wanted to affect more than just the 20 some odd kids that were going to be in my classroom every year. And so my goal had always been to get into education policy. Right. Um and that is really how we decide uh, curriculum and the, and the educational landscape for the country is on the Hill. So I left the classroom uh, and I went to Capitol Hill as a Congressional Black Caucus fellow uh, some many, many moons ago. Um, and, you know, while I was there, you know, it was an exciting time. Democrats were in power. It felt like so amazing to be participating in our government and to try and find a way to make the lives of students and people better. 
And, you know, but then while I was on the Hill, <laughs> you know, things take a turn as they do in reality TV, like the actual show, The Hills. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it, and it took a turn. And I, I started to think about what are the ways that we're able to actually change people's hearts and minds? What are the ways that we can actually begin to have daily impact? And so for me, I made the transition to kind of work at the intersection of policy and media um, and decided after, you know, many years of the classroom of, of lobbying, of, you know, working on the Hill to then make that transition into media because it's like, the messenger matters, right? So it isn't just about the kind of bills that need to be passed and who is doing the talking and who you're voting for, but it's also about, you know, how we are changing the hearts and minds and having the American people think critically about why their life is being shaped in the way that it is. We love to believe we have autonomy, but the reality is that there are a lot of mechanisms at play um, that allow for some people to have and other people to have not. Yeah, that's so true. And, and yeah, you mentioned that pivot into doing more of that media space, you can educate more people. And so you're out there doing a lot of stuff. And, and a lot of it is around politics. How do you especially these days with politics being so visceral? Um, and I guess they always have, but it's just been even more, I guess, emotionally taxing these days. How are you able to balance staying up to date on everything and speaking on it, but still kind of keeping your own mental and emotional well being through it all? Well, I drink, Chris. No. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't mention this is my whiskey, buddy. So, yeah. Right, well, you did start out with the whiskey. No, um, seriously, I, you know, these days the news cycle is pretty much like, you know, deciding every morning to take a shower in hot acid, right? Like it is, it is really difficult to keep up and keep pace with what's going on and actually keep your wits about you. And because, you know, the way that our media landscape has changed. If you remember, you know, when we were all young, right, or at least when, you know, when I was young, there were three stations, right, that you were going to watch on television in order to get your news. It was NBC, ABC, and CBS, right? And, yep. you know, and then things began to change. News began to change. And then you had the explosion of cable news and newspapers and magazines and zines and podcasts and radio and all of these things. And so for me, it is about trying to keep pace with where people are getting their information and then figuring out how I can, you know, deliver that information to them in a digestible way. So, you know, we all, I often follow trends in terms of thinking about what people are paying attention to. And the fact is people don't really read, you know? So when I write my op-eds for, you know, the places that I do place them in and I do write for Zora, a vertical um, of medium, uh, and and for for medium at large, you know, I I that's for the people that read. But then I take a screenshot of that and do like a sixty second pop off video because that's for the people that don't have time to read or it's not their thing. Then I'll do a podcast on that on that longer thing. So it's like you you create content and then you have to splice it in a way that you can reach as many people as possible where they are and how they like to receive their information. And that has changed rapidly with our media landscape and our political culture right now. Yeah, and in creating all that content, like you just said, you're doing it on podcasts, which you have your podcast, Woke AF and Democracy-ish, um, but then also you're doing it through uh, what you're writing with Zora and, and Medium. Um, but also then, yeah, going on TV and, and giving out that same stuff going on social media. So how do you then balance all these things that you're trying to juggle 
which, you know, you're trying to do it for very good reasons, educating people and keeping people up to date on what's happening. But yeah, how do you juggle all that? You know, I, I, I really don't know. Um, but I, I will say that one of the things that has become a priority for me, and I think a lot of people, particularly um, since 2020 uh, and COVID became a part and the global health pandemic became a part of our everyday life, is trying to find you know, that, that, you know, very uh, sneaky word balance, right? And, and trying to preserve my mental health and well-being and self-care. And so, you know, in the midst of all of the things that I am doing, writing uh, and pushing content out, like I do try and go on walks. I do try and, you know, I meditate every single day, um, probably, you know, at least, at least once, but definitely uh, twice on a, you know, on a regular basis. But it is really trying to figure out who are those responsible voices that I actually believe in and trust and want to follow. And, you know, going into Twitter and seeing what what is the conversation that is percolating, because that is essentially, for me, the virtual water cooler. It's where people are meeting and gathering and yelling. It is it is the virtual town, the town hall and the town square. Um, so going in there and seeing, you know, what is the conversation that folks are having today and whether or not I have an opinion or want to provide analysis. And is it worthy? Is it worthy of, you know, an 800 word piece for an op-ed? Is it worthy of, you know, a, a 40 minute show for, you know, for Woke AF? Um, and, and thinking about who needs to hear this, how and when. And speaking of social media, like you said, it's that town hall situation. So you're not controlling what people are saying back to you. You know, you might choose to respond or not respond, but that also means that you're going to get people who are, you know, believe in what you're saying, but there's going to be the trolls as well. The people who want to try to tear you down or, you know, want to vilify you for maybe things that you say. How, how do you try to combat that? Or do you try to combat that at all? Um, you know, especially on social media. You know, um, there are sometimes uh, where I get comments that are not worth that are not worth the time or the energy, right, to dig into. But then there are comments that come out which are people wanting to challenge my point of view or challenge, you know, literal reality. And because I believe that there are more people that could have the same question or have the same thoughts, then I'll decide to weigh in. I don't, I don't push back in comments as a way just to like pop off on people. If I think that you're purposefully spreading misinformation, I'll call that out. But if I think that it's a genuine question that you have or a genuine comment that really, you know, gets at the heart of where a lot of Americans are, are thinking, then I'll make a conscious effort to really delve in, uh, to having that commentary and Instagram for me is where people really have like deeper questions because I post a lot of lives and reels and videos there on a regular basis. And so people delve into that more so than, you know, a retweet or a comment on Twitter, right? That kind of goes mm -hmm. out into, into the ether. So depending on the platform and how people comment will depend on whether or not I respond. Do you ever feel like it's this responsibility to keep doing this because i'm sure it's sometimes you want to just throw your hands up and say i'm done with this but like, i don't yeah, do, don't i like text you and tell you i'm done all the time <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, I, don't i pick up the phone and say chris I, I i don't have it in me anymore um to do this but you know i remember when folks used to say about different fields that they were in whether they were teachers or you know in the clergy or 
um, you know, a doctor is that they would say that it was a calling. And I never really understood what that, you know, what that meant because I didn't identify because I was, you know, always kind of moving from, you know, place to place when I was living in Washington, D.C. But I do believe that the work that I do trying to educate the masses, I started my career as an educator in the classroom. And now I feel like I am still that teacher. The classroom has just changed. Um, from a physical space to a virtual place. And what I'm trying to teach people and engage them on is like, you have power, right? That your citizenship um, in this country comes with responsibility, right? It comes with a responsibility to pay attention and to hold people accountable for the decisions that they are making that are going to impact your day-to-day -day life. And they are banking on your ignorance. They are banking on your confusion and your frustration so that they can continue doing what they're doing because you're so busy trying to survive. So for me, the content creation that I do and the curation that I do across multiple platforms is so that I can interrupt people's busy days, that I can interrupt their lives for just a second to say, wait a minute here, you have power here. And it doesn't feel like this in this moment because the people that are wielding you know, the gavels that are wielding, you know, the, the legislation make you feel like you don't have a voice, but they wouldn't have a job without you. So it is up to people like me who see the, the value and the virtue of government for and by the people to actually educate the masses, to actually educate them to a way not to just sway them to my point of view, although I believe that it's right. And I mean, like, right as in righteous, right? Because I'm fighting for people's rights. But I want you to question, ask why, right? We need to interrogate the why of why things are happening in our government, in our society, in our body politic, the way that they are. And without that interrogation, you have people that will run roughshod over this country and over your liberty. And you said, like, you know, you have to grab people's attention where they are, and, and it's why you're on all these different mediums. But then also, is that why, and maybe it's just your personality, but it, is that why you speak with such passion when you're, you're talking, whether it be on TV or even here in this conversation, or, you know, why you inject the humor through, through a lot of what you're talking about? So you can be talking about something so serious and still interject the humor there and then get back to the serious part of the conversation. Is that why you balance all those things when you're talking? Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it is by virtue of my personality, because sometimes if I don't laugh, I will just cry. And I don't want to spend my days in tears, right? You know, I think that there is, there is an absurdity that we are all witnessing right now in the world, in our lives. I mean, shit, we just sat down and watched a man get slapped on national television, you know, in a, in a venue that we would have never, never thought that we would see that. And that's worth a conversation, right? But it's also, you have to laugh at the absurdity of the times that we are living in. Otherwise, you're going to go mad. So for me, yes, I try and mix the seriousness. I, I try and provide, you know, a spoonful of sugar, you know, with the medicine that I'm trying to help America swallow on a regular basis. In your podcast, Woke AF, you recently made this pivot as well to make sure that we're not just focusing on politics and activism, but also balancing our own mental and emotional well-being. Um, so why did you think you needed to make that pivot? And, and how, how did those two worlds play together between politics, social activism, I guess three worlds, social activism and uh, uh, mental and emotional well-being? Yeah, you know, that's such a good question. There, there is no way 
to continue to be a, a one of the many foot soldiers and warriors for justice without being able to take pause um, in your own life and to make sure that you have the mental, spiritual, and emotional capacity to deal with all of the wrongdoing that is happening in our world right now. And so, you know, you as somebody who is who has a public uh, persona to some extent, it is really important to take that time to figure out what is going to actually bring me peace so that there can be rest. You know, I think that it was um, Audre Lorde who said that rest is a part of the revolution, right? That that it isn't just this idea of go, 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 give, give, give. My mother constantly says you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you are somebody whose job is um, emotionally taxing, right? Spiritually taxing, as I think that anybody who is involved in politics, in policy work in these times are, and you are fighting not only for other people, but yourself, right? Like I'm a queer black woman in America, child of immigrants, right? Everything, why do I speak with such passion? Because I'm talking about my own life as well as everyone else's life who is affected by really evil policy decisions that are meant to force us back into the closet, that are meant to um, to make us into second and third class citizens. And so, you know, it is important to make sure to do that kind of check in with yourself on a day to day basis to say, like, how am I feeling? What do I need? If I need rest, if I need, you know, some movement just to stretch out right um to to get out the negative energy to be able to sit with myself um i think that those things are incredibly important um because none of the people that we revere right whether it is a a, a martin luther king jr a rosa parks a tony morrison you know a james baldwin none of those people just grinded themselves into dust they wouldn't have been able to last right and i'm talking about the ones that you know were able, fortunate enough to live to their later years, right? Um, mm -hmm. They took time to rest because it's how we're able to continue fighting over decades and decades and decades. Yeah, I, I love the analogy, and I, I forget who I'm stealing this analogy from, but I love the analogy of when you're on a plane, they, you know, when they're going through the safety steps, they say secure your mask first before helping others. Like it's that same concept. If you aren't able to breathe, how are you going to help somebody else breathe? Right. And I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that, you know, for too long, I think that and this is pre pandemic. I also think that we got into and fell in love with and I know that I did um, grind culture. Right. As entrepreneurs, mm. we were told, like, you need to grind like, you know, the, no sleep. Uh, if you want to win there, you know, there's no sleep and we just grind. And I'm like, so it was who I follow on Instagram, the Nat ministry that was just like, so we're not machines. You know, we're actually not meant to grind nonstop, right? Like we are human beings that need sleep, water, rest, moisture, you know, moisturizer. Like we, <laughs> you know, like we, we need so much, but we, we have become attached to grind culture because grind culture is a part of capitalism, which tells us that our worth is based and attached to our productivity. And that if we're not producing, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then we are of no value. And so it's really there 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 is a need and an opportunity for us to really evaluate like our addiction to capitalism, but also the assumption that we have no value unless we are producing 
at every given moment. And so what does that mean to reevaluate what our worth is? And I saw something funny the other day that was just like, you know, capitalism turned us from human beings into humans consistently doing, right? And so that's to me where like the constant reminder comes in like, wait a minute, I know that I have to do all these things and I got to be active in all of these different spaces, but to, to what extent, right? Like, and yeah. so when I find myself feeling like, oh shit, I just work like another 12 hour day. And yes, I am working for myself, but at the same time, like, who is that pace gonna, who is that pace gonna help, right? Like if I fall out, you know, what, what happens to, what happens to the work, right? Um, and so it's, it is really important to, to evaluate how and why we're doing the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. Because, yeah, if uh, yeah, you're running yourself into the ground, you're not going to be able to continue to do the work that you're doing. And obviously, especially in your case, and that means that the people you're trying to educate aren't, not to say you're the, not the only one, you know, giving these kind of, uh, having these kind of conversations and, and putting out these kind of talking points. But, yeah, if you're not there to do it anymore because you're too beaten down and tired, then everybody suffers. Well, actually, I, I love this term I stole from you, that this rest and rage. Like you can, you know, be rageful about the things going on, but you still need to take a rest to be able to uh, recharge and also be able to continue that work that you're doing. And your mother is someone who uh, comes from a much different world. She is a, a yoga teacher. And yeah. so I, I'm sure she must have like tons of great advice that she's given you over the years. And maybe some of it has stuck and maybe some of it hasn't. But especially now with these intersections that you're playing with of rest and rage, are there certain lessons that that you're really you know that you've really latched on to that your mother been that your mother's been able to teach you yeah and you know so i i've had my mother as a guest on on woke af for this very reason because you know she got into yoga probably you know over 25 years ago and has a yoga studio uh, out east on long island in new york and one of the things that she had said to me when she saw, caught me in the midst of my, you know, everyday grind, 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 was that you take on energy on a cellular level, right? Like all of the, you know, I, I would sit, you know, with this TV behind me day in and day out with MSNBC, CNN, you know, on all day long, right? And you think that you're not absorbing what it is that is that is being heard because you're like, oh, it's background noise. Your body is actually taking that in. And so when my mother said that to me, and it made me think about, she often says on her uh, in her yoga classes that your tissues have issues, right? <laughs> That's one of the reasons why you know we need to do practices like yoga to stretch out to you know, move out, move uh, our bodies and create um, the change and shift the energy is for that reason. That is how, you know, we have disease. Disease comes from dis-ease. When our bodies are actually at ease, right, they are able to, our organs are able to pump, our, our blood is able to flow in the healthiest way possible. And so for me, it was starting to make the connection between the the ways that our bodies are complete and total systems and how the energy around us affects that you know before when i was just on the grind 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 i was 20 pounds heavier i was um having very restless nights i'm a light sleeper anyway but i was sleeping on average maybe five hours a night 
Um, I was kind of eating on the go. There, my weekends were never about rest. They were always about what show um, I had to prep for to be on. Um, and so my mom, by virtue of just, you know, she is a woman that was a, a, is a retired registered nurse, worked in the healthcare industry for a really long time and realized that she wanted to be on the other side of health, which was wellness, right? Um, taught me about, and more preventative care, exactly taught me about the fact that I can't care for others to your oxygen analogy without caring for myself. And that if I want to have longevity and a long, healthy life, not just a long life, but a long, healthy life, then I need to make, uh, self care and wellness a part of my daily practice. I do. I get hype all the time. If people follow me on social media, like it's actually not a performance. It's my natural state of being. I have, you know, people tell me all the time, Danielle, be easy, be easy. I'm worried about your blood pressure. These are strangers. Um, and, and it's because, you know, I believe in what I'm talking about and, and I just want to sound the alarm, but you can't do that without taking care of yourself. So that's why I have tried and sometimes unsuccessfully, uh, to marry, uh, both the rest and the rage. Going back to kind of where we started this conversation of you starting on the hill and, and wanting, well, actually you starting in the classroom and then, you know, going to the hill and, and starting to be more of a public figure speaking on these things. How were you able to essentially make yourself your own brand that made you bookable for these things? Like what gave you the cachet that allowed you to be booked on an MSNBC? Because, you know, I'm assuming that as a teacher, you know, those people didn't know who you were. <laughs> so, right, yeah, right. How, how were you able to get in front of them? You know, that is a really good question. And I think that uh, a couple of things uh, happened, right? Um, and I believe in consistent preparation, dedication and focus, right? But a couple of things happened, which is that, yes, I realized that how I got into media was through LGBTQ equality. It was through the discussions that were happening around marriage equality. And the fact was that at that time, I was married, I'm now divorced. But at that time, you know, there, the only people that were going on television to talk about marriage equality were um, white gay men. And white gay men don't, don't, evoke, don't invoke empathy, right? And they can't speak to how discriminatory policies, when you are a person that lives at the intersection of multiple identities, how it is going to affect your day-to-day -day life. So... You know, while I was working on the Hill, building my, you know, building my policy chops, you know, I also became an advisor with the Center for American Progress and had launched uh, an initiative there that was looking at how um, discriminatory LGBTQ policies were going to adversely affect black queer people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so by virtue of finding a niche, a conversation that was not being had and being able to expand what was already happening, then all of a sudden, people started to look in my direction. Well, what do you think? Because when I started out doing TV, it was specifically as a black lesbian, a married black lesbian going on television to talk about this singular issue. And then it was through consistent writing, tweeting, you know, and talking that folks are just like, oh, wait a minute. She can actually also talk about general politics. She can talk about democratic strategy. She can talk about all of these other things because I decided that 
I didn't want to be pigeonholed. So I expanded my portfolio. And I did that through the conversations I was having on my earlier podcast through the conversations that I was having through op eds that I was writing and through reports that I was writing um, as an advisor with the Center for American Progress. So it's like, what makes you listen to people, right? Like what makes you pay attention to one person versus another? And it's because either they have the background and the cachet that makes you trust them, right? And so mm-hmm. how do you continue to build, you know, that background and build that voice to be able to show up as the force that you want to be in the world? Yeah, and in that independent space, you know, you also work in crisis communications and executive coaching. Can you explain what that is as well and, um, you know, the kind of work that you do through that? Sure. So I... Um, So for many years, like you had said, um, I worked in the classroom, worked on Capitol Hill. When I made the transition and left Washington, D.C. to come to New York, I did so as the vice president at a a communications firm, uh, you know, a large communications firm uh, with offices in New York and L.A. um, and and D.C. And, you know, part of that work was working with nonprofit organizations and corporations that had... uh, missions that were attached to democratic principles, right? And like the furthering and expansion of equity. And so I began, you know, working with folks in terms of like, you can't just create a policy report and hope that it's going to change the world if you're not messaging it, right? So Mm -hmm. it is about teaching people who have, who are doing powerful things, incredible work, but nobody hears about it. And so how do you package the work that is being done and put it into places for people to be able to digest that information? And so for me, um, that kind of hard skill development in communications and then moving into what is it to be in crisis? I've worked with some corporations um, that have had PR disasters. Um, some of which you all may remember over, you know, if you think back a couple of years ago, into what, who was in the news and why um, for things that have happened, whether it be with Black employees, LGBTQ employees, blah, blah. Um, you can think right now about the Oscars and how the Academy is, is experiencing scrutiny. So if I were the firm that was hired you know, to work with them, it would be about you know, what kind of statement needs to be put out, when, where, and how. Um, and that's what it means to like do crisis work is that when a company reputation is at stake, what do you do to make sure that there is brand repair? Um, and then executive coaching, I do now um, a lot with underrepresented CEOs and executive directors. So working with people that are traditionally not in um, that we see in CEO and uh, executive director roles like black women, uh, queer people, um, people from underrepresented populations need the support and scaffolding that they're usually denied in these spaces because they're oftentimes called upon to come in and lead to also be janitors. There is some hot hmm. shit that happened in somebody's organization that they were called out for and they're like, oh my God, we need a black person. Then they hire the black person. They provide them with absolutely no goddamn support that person then fails and then they get to say to themselves, well, this is why we never get those people in these roles, but they don't do so. Um, they don't think about the supports and the channels that they make sure are clear and the obstacles that are removed 
in order for white folks to be able to advance in those in those very same roles. So in my executive coaching, it's really to act as both the cheerleader um, as well as the coach to be able to help people in their first few years in these heavy roles be able to succeed. No, that's great. And yeah, it sounds like that executive coaching is might be a little bit more fulfilling because yeah, you can help, maybe you're not creating the opportunity, but you're helping to make the most out of the opportunity that is there. Whereas I also look at the crisis uh, management side or the crisis communication side as maybe sometimes you have a client that you don't necessarily want to work for. Like, has that happened where as you are in the, the gig of, of helping somebody with their cri- or helping a company with their crisis, you realize, oh, this company's not really a good company. They, you know, they just want to put out a good message to try to skirt past this, but the issues are still going to be at hand. Have you had that kind of situation? And how do you figure out if you want to continue working with a, a company like that? Yeah, so I did have that kind of situation when I was working at a communications firm, um, which is one of the reasons, again, uh, why entrepreneurship seemed to be more my flavor, because you get to choose um, who you want to work with and who you want to help, as opposed to that just being put on your plate, regardless of if your politics don't match. And for me, my politics are very personal, so it was very difficult to be in a firm type space where I had no control over what messaging was going out and who it was going out to. Um, And those are, you know, again, you, we all have to, we make decisions every day in our lives, you know, and sometimes, you know, I'm a person that I think that comes from a space of privilege because I was able to say, so I'm good, you know, like I'm done. Uh, and and can go out on my own and still be able to have a roof over my head and food on my table and live a fairly, you know, um, comfortable life, right? There are too many people that don't have that choice. And that choice shouldn't be a privilege. Um, but it oftentimes is. And so for me, that's one of the reasons that was kind of the leading reason that got me to say, you know what, I kind of want to write my own ticket from now on. I don't want somebody telling me who, what, where, when, and how. Um, It's one of the reasons, Chris, that I came to DCP Entertainment because it was like, oh my God, you mean I get to put on a show how I want to put on a show? Like the way that I want my voice to be heard and like have somebody and a team of people support and back me? What a novel concept, right? (laughs) Um, Because, you know, that's just not what I had been used to. Right. Um, And so being able to work with people who share values and mission is incredibly important to me. And it's something that I have made my mission um, and why I'm able to, I think, be successful ish, depending on what what people (laughs) view as success um, in, in the work that I do. Well, actually, that's a great question that you I'm going to now push back to you. What is success for you? What is success? Oh, God, I don't know. Ask my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, I can't seem to to figure out for myself um, what what success looks like for me. I think that, you know, jokes aside that success for me is being able to do what I love, um, do what I feel called to do and make a living doing so. Um, so right now, uh, you know, in these, in these days, the last few years, I look around and I feel pretty successful. Success hasn't, you know, it isn't, it's never been a dollar number for me. Um, uh, it has always been about impact, um, and how good I feel at the end of each day. And I know that that sounds corny, but it really is true. Um, it's probably why I'm not a millionaire yet. 
Um, but it is, you know, but, <laughs> but it is, it is, I, you know, being able to do what I love, how I want to do it, where I want to do it, and when I want to do it, to me, is what success looks like. I like that. Yeah, success should be self-defined. We shouldn't be defining our success based on, you know, what the people around us are telling us. That it, you know, you're living your own life. And I think uh, the way you just sum that up is, is something that I think we should all, you know, take a look at our own life and figure out what is success to us. And you just mentioned, too, that part of that has been working with your own therapist. And I think a lot of times we think about therapy just for our personal lives. But how has therapy maybe helped you in your, your business entrepreneurial life? Yeah, um, I'm really hard on myself. I think that most entrepreneurs are. Um, you know, I've talked to you. You work like 13, 14, 15 hour days. Um, and, yeah, I got to stop. You know, uh, <laughs> right, and you got to stop. Um, but I, I think that for, for me, therapy was a way for me to get off of that hamster wheel and to really stop yard sticking. And what do I mean by yard sticking? Measuring myself against what other people are doing and measuring my success on based on the clicks and the likes and all of those things and not how I'm feeling um, <laughs> at, uh, at the end of each day. And that, you know, and, and that is really, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do in a society that now is set up again to measure your worth on whether or not people are clicking on your shit, right? So I think that for me, therapy allows me to get outside of myself and, and really like interrogate my own why. Do I feel of service? Do I feel of value? What, what makes me feel of value shouldn't be again what I produce. It should be because I am. Um, and so I think that it is important for us to think about what, what are, what are our markers? What makes us feel successful? Why do we feel this way? And also what team do I need to have around me? Do I need to build so that I can get to the level of success that I want. And part of my team is my therapist, right? Like, and I think that when people think, you know, about their teams living, and I don't know, you know, where other people are that are here right now, living in New York, it is not for the fucking lighthearted, right? It is, it is not for people that don't have any like hustler spirit in them, right? Like you have to be, yeah. Um, you have to have a kind of gangster mentality in order to thrive in this city that will eat you alive. And so what does it mean to build up uh, spiritual forces and a team of people, whether it is your therapist, if it's your acupuncturist, the person that does body work, if it is, you know, your soul cycle instructor, if it's, you know, your friends, um, your family, like who who is on your team? Right. Like those are the questions that I really want people to ask themselves, you know, on a day to day basis, because none of us are an island onto ourselves. We don't do this work alone. Anybody that you see whose success you covet, there are there there are uh, is a village behind them. Right. So who is in your village, whether you are paying those people, right, like a therapist to be a part of your village or those people that are walking in by virtue of, you know, circumstance and friendship or, or, or lineage or what have you. So I think that people need to understand that we don't succeed or fail by ourselves. Right. Yeah. And so and so who do we need around us and and really needing to consistently check your circle to make sure that the people that are inside there are about you, right, are for you and are not mm -hmm. secret frenemies, which, again, I was able to interrogate during the time when we were in quarantine 
Um, and I'm going through really difficult times in our life. And I'm like, so who wasn't on my line this whole time? Who wasn't doing the, hey, you good, right? Um, because those are the people that we need on our team. Yeah, I think that's a really, really excellent point. Because, yeah, your team, whether it be your therapist, the people you work with, your friends are all really important. And I want to key in on the, the friends and, and people you work with. Because, you know, in my network of people, you're, you're one of those folks who does a great job of reminding me of, you know, enjoy the, the small wins, enjoy the wins in the moment and don't always necessarily be striving for the next. Like, yes, we want to, like you said, especially in New York, we have to hustle, hustle, hustle. And so we have this attainable goal that we can try to get to, but we shouldn't just base all of our emotion on trying to get there. We need to stop every once in a while and, and take stock of where we've come and how quickly maybe we've gotten there. And I know for me, I sometimes get lost in that trying to, to get to where I'm going to be or where we're going to be. And, you know, you do a great job of reminding me, well, Chris, remember, we've, you know, it's been X amount of years and look how yep. far we've come. And so it's great to be able to have that because you can't always do that for yourself. It's hard to sometimes take a step back. And so to be able to have people like yourself in my life, and I, I know you have folks in your life that are very similar as well, to be able to remind you of that can be really, really powerful and help you maintain that sustainability that you're trying to have, whatever space that you're working in. You know, I try... Um, I try at the beginning and the end of each day. And again, it's, it's, I'm not always successful at it, but I, I, I at least do it weekly, right? But at the end of each day, when I'm closing my laptop, turning off my phone, you know, going through the course of the day and all that I've done, right? Like, and being able to just sit there and feel like, you know what? Be proud, right? Like waking up in the morning and I'm just like, I'm waking up in my own space that I designed for myself. I'm able to start my day in the way that I want, how I want, like, you know, and feeling good about that. I don't think that we take stock um, in ourselves because we're so busy doing this all day, right? Like looking at other people's lives and saying, I want this and I want that. And like, how come it's not me? We're so busy looking right at out outside that we're literally not spending any of that energy, any of that time looking inside and asking ourselves, what makes me happy? Am I happy? Right. Um, and if that requires you to take breaks from social media, from the news, then you should do that. Right. Like you should do that because there are toxic forces that are at play that are keeping us addicted to doing this that are keeping us addicted to yardsticking ourselves against everybody around us, right? And so I think that it is important. Um, it is integral for us to have a team, a team of real people that really want to see you win. And win does not mean consume, does not mean amass. It means to really like win in wellness, to win and feel free, to win and feel good. Well, as we're kind of getting towards the, the you know, end of this conversation, I also want to give an opportunity for you to talk about, you know, some of the, the wins that, that you're currently experiencing. And I'll, I'll throw out one quick one for, for you, which is, you know, one of your uh, podcasts, Democracy-ish, that you co-host with Wajahad Ali, another amazing commentator and writer and journalist. Um, you know, you all do a podcast called Democracy-ish that was nominated for a full podcast award as the best news and politics podcast. So you know, up against some of the biggest names in podcasting, like the daily at the New York times. So that's one yeah. big win, but what are some of those other wins that you're, you're celebrating these days? 
Um, I, I will say, what what am I celebrating these days? I just went on vacation. I just got back from spending eight days um, with some of my closest friends in Panama, being able to like explore um, wildlife and be at the beach and in the sun and like take a breath and a beat. And that felt like a huge win. Um, you know, before that, I was able to celebrate my, you know, a, a milestone birthday for my mother. I don't tell a woman's age, so I won't say what milestone, but it was <laughs> a big one. Um, and, you know, with my family. And that was really lovely. And then, you know, professionally, you know, I'm tackling trying to be on TikTok, right? Like trying to be out in these streets and having, you know, and recognizing that... <laughs> That there, on there too. Uh, that there are different ways to like bend my brain and be creative and I'm enjoying it. Right. Like, you know, again, we have to laugh at the absurdities of these times. We got to call them out. And so, you know, trying to bend my mind in creative ways to develop content that is 60 seconds or less. It feels like a win. It feels like, you know, I I'm kind of moving through this media space and trying to be as nimble as possible. Um, and, and I feel proud of where, where I am and, and, and what I'm doing. So, you know, aside from the awards um, or at least the recognition thereof, um, you know, I I'm happy with the amount of peace that I have in my life uh, right now and the amount of just like goodness, just like feel, feel goodness. And then I'm excited, Chris, you know, about all of the things that DCP, um, entertainment has in the hopper and going on and being a part of like this amazing growing company. Um, and that feels really good and nourishing, um, to see, you know, to see how far, um, we've progressed. And so I, I, I feel good. Aside from the world collapsing, y'all, things are all right. <laughs> other than that, yeah, other than everything burning and, yes, uh, everything is I, – I, but I do really like what you said in terms of those being wins. Like, wins don't always have to be the business stuff, the awards. Like, the wins can be you taking care of yourself. And I, I think – honestly, I just took from that. And, like, you know, anytime I get asked that question from now on, I'm going to try to lean on what am I doing for myself that are wins as opposed to what happened in business that felt like a win. I, I think I like your answer a lot better than, you know, maybe the way I was conceptualizing what your answer might be. So you had mentioned your TikTok. And so I wanted to, you know, let people know where can they find you on TikTok, on Instagram, because I know you do a lot of stuff there, obviously also Twitter. So yeah, let people know where they can find you um, and be able to, you know, continue to hear more of you. Obviously also the podcast, make sure you mention those as well. Yeah. So you can listen to my daily podcast, Woke AF Daily, um, anywhere that you get your podcast. So Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all of those places. My weekly podcast with my friend Washahat Ali is Democracy-ish. And again, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts as well. Um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at D2Cents, D-E-E-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S. Can follow me on TikTok where your girl is brand brand new, um, Danielle Moody underscore there as well. But yeah, hit me up in all of the spaces and places um, because I do a lot. And uh, this week I have a piece up. Um, I'm working on another one, which should be up uh, later today. Uh, but I have a piece up at Zora Magazine, which is a vertical dedicated to uh, women of color on Medium uh, on the Oscars 2022 um uh in defense of black women so you can go and check out that writing that is up right now thank you to danielle moody for joining us on entrepreneur struggle 
And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And you can go to our show notes to learn more about Danielle's work. Thank you to my producer, Heather Johnson. And until next week, stay safe and stay healthy because the struggle is real. Thank you.